If you have your Bible this morning, turn please to uh, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Bruce had no way of knowing when he was talking this morning in in, uh, the Sunday school class as he was talking about the vision of Antioch. That's what we're talking about today. We've been going chapter by chapter looking at what happens when the church gets lit up, when it gets on fire, when, when when the flame is fanned and it begins to blaze. And that's what we're looking at today. We're talking about one powerful message. On about Tuesday uh, on the Good Morning America morning program, there was a woman by the name of Jennifer Livingston. She is a CBS anchor in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, Jennifer is overweight. She acknowledges she's overweight, but she got a horrible email from a, a male viewer who said, I don't normally watch you, but I clicked on the television and I saw you. And he said horrible things. He said that she was a, a poor role model. He said that, that she was obese. Uh, he said words that you would never say about a woman, but especially a, a woman in an email. But because it was, you know, an email and they didn't have to sign it, it was just from a viewer, a concerned viewer. Her husband, who is also an anchor, saw the email. She tried to just shrug it off, but he was incensed. And so he put it on his Facebook and responded and Shortly thereafter, there were 1,800 responses encouraging her. So she went on Good Morning America. And she said, do you understand what's happening? If you go home and you say things like obese and fat, that's how your children learn to bully other children at school. And she said many powerful things, but one of the powerful messages that she she said is, I'm much more than a number on a scale. Now, maybe because I've, I've struggled with my weight all of my life, I can identify with that. I was the, I was the chunky one in my family. My brothers were lean and, and athletic, and I was the one that my mom would say, Jim, eat a little bit more. George, cut back on the potatoes. So I, I, it was a powerful message, and it resonated to me. What's a powerful message maybe that you've heard? I've been in a hospital room when the doctor says, we find no evidence of any more cancer. You're in remission. And the tears flow because it's this powerful message. A lot of different powerful messages. But I think there's no more powerful message than in what I've already referenced in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles when three, three kingdoms came together against Israel. And Jehoshaphat is, is there and, and he realized that he's completely outmanned. He's completely outnumbered. And he goes and falls before the Lord. And the Lord says to him in verse 15, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Even though this vast army is out there, I will take care of it. And in verse 15 of 2 Chronicles 20, it says, the battle is not yours, but God's. In verse 17, he says, you won't have to fight this battle. And then you can see in, in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, Jehoshaphat appointed men after he thought about this, if they were not going to have to fight, he put the choir out front. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Can you hear that? His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Sing it with me. His love endures forever. Come on one more time. His love endures forever. Can you hear that echoing across the the hillside? And as they came around the hill, they couldn't see before, but as they came around the hill, they saw this vast army. And in verse 24, the same chapter says, all they saw were only dead bodies. The Lord had gone before them. 
And he caused these three kings to, to somehow begin to fight each other. And, and when they had fought each other and there were just a few soldiers left, they fought each other to the death until the last man standing was dead. And he came out and Jehoshaphat and their, and their men were singing, His love endures forever. And they see this army dead in front of them. How powerful a message is it when God says, the battle is not yours. I will fight for you. And the truth is, the message that we have today is every battle is the Lord's. And he will always fight for us. And if we want to see the church alive the way the Lord wants the church alive, we have to come back and give him the battle doesn't mean that we don't go out. It doesn't mean that we don't line up. It doesn't mean that you don't take the army. It doesn't mean that you don't sing the songs. But in the end, the battle is the Lord's. Amen? In Acts chapter 13, it's an incredible story of the first missionaries that are sent out. It says, God's powerful message compels me to minister. That's really where we're going with this. This is the first of two thoughts because every battle God has entrusted us with the most powerful message, the most powerful message ever. Look at Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Here's the story. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and it lists off some Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping, what does that mean? It could have been praising the Lord with song. It could have been praying. We don't know, but they were worshiping the Lord. Worship is not just a style of music. It's, it's a whole way of life. And as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, or John Mark, was with them as their help, helper. If you remember last week as we looked at the end of chapter 12, John Mark, that's Barnabas's cousin, he went with them. Now look at verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they made a, met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now get this. They come across this, this Roman official. Uh, he, he wasn't a governor, but he was, he was the head over that area, that, that part. He was a proconsul. And look at what it says. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he had wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. That doesn't sound like very Christ-like, does it? It gets worse. Look at this. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now look at verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. We're going to pick up some of the rest of the chapter 
in a minute. But I want to look at just two things from this because God's powerful message compels us. It, it's there and it's pushing us and it's, and it's, and it's helping us, but it's, it's also creating a hunger in us to go and do the things that he called us to do. The truth is, number one, I have been called. I've been called to be your pastor. Almost eight years ago this weekend, I, I received uh, uh, the, the call and came, and, and I was here on the campus about eight years ago, and I was meeting with some of the deacons and some of the church leaders, and we were trying to finalize whether the Lord wanted to become. I've been called to be here, but I've got news for you. You've been called to be here too. You've been called to the ministry that God has given you. You have been called to be a part of what God is doing in Redding, California, or in Haiti, or wherever God has placed you. God has called each of us because you notice it says that separate out from me Barnabas and Saul, but the others were still to stay and to minister in Antioch. So some were called to go, some were called to stay, some were called to go, and some were called to support them as they went. And the Lord says, I have called you. I know that you've been called because we've all been called. And look at the diversity. Barnabas was a native of, Cy of Cyprus. Simeon, you notice his name, he says he's uh, Simeon, called Niger. Well, Niger is the Latin word for black. Guess what? He probably wasn't a white dude. Okay? He probably was African-American, we would call him today, or a black man. Also, you have Lucius from Cyrene. Well, Cyrene is also from North, America, uh, North Africa. He either was very dark-skinned or was black as well. Menaean was the foster brother of Herod and Antipas. Herod Antipas was uh, descended from Esau, so he's on the wrong side of the family. He's not Jewish. He's, he's Idumean. And so you've got a couple of black guys this guy who is on the wrong side of the family, and then Saul, well, he's Jewish rabbi. He's, except he wasn't from Jerusalem. He was born in Tarsus, and he was a Roman citizen. You've got this diversity of all these guys, and the Holy Spirit begins to work on them. What brought them together, God? What brought them together? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of powers that will bring us together. I was, I was walking into a store the other day, and I saw this guy, and I hate to categorize people, but I, I, I can't help it. The guy's hair, it was, a, it was a guy who had a mohawk, and his mohawk was pink right down the middle of his, I was just jealous, he had hair right down the middle of his head. And it was pink, and then from the mohawk, mohawk out where it was buzzed short, it was orange. And he had tats. He had a sleeveless wife beater t-shirt and tats on both sides. And he had, he had shorts on and he had big calves. And he had uh, two girls' names, different girls' names on each calf. I'm not exactly sure what that meant. But I don't think for one of the girlfriends that was a happy time. And he's sitting there and there's this guy with a... a beautiful suit, looked like he just came out of IBM training, black suit, white shirt, nice, beautiful tie, expensive shoes, and they're sitting there, and they're huddling, and they're talking. I'm thinking, what in the world brought this guy with this huge, weird mohawk and this guy in the suit, and they were trading apps on their phones. They were the, the new phones where you can click them together, and you can share the stuff, and they were the power of the iPod, uh, uh, of the iPhone brought them together, or whatever it was, the Galaxy what brings us together? On Sunday morning, this diverse group that comes from all kinds of different backgrounds, what brings us together? Jesus Christ. The power of the message of Jesus Christ cuts across all social lines and all age lines and all background lines, and he brings us together. 
Today on this campus, we have a Korean church, and we have a, a, a Mian church, and we have the, some of the Chinese that worship with us, and, and we have all of the different ones, and, and those that can't speak English are in different rooms, but those that can speak English are mixed together in, in some of our children's classes. Do you understand the power of the message of God? He's brought us together. He's called us together. And John Mark felt called and went with him. John Mark's mother, we, if you remember last week when... Uh, Peter went and knocked on the door and they didn't know for sure if it was really Peter. They went to a home, an upper room. We believe that was John Mark's mother's house, probably the upper room where they went and had the Last Supper, probably the upper room where they went and waited for Pentecost. And John Mark, this one who maybe witnessed what Jesus did, realized that something was happening and he wanted to jump on board. Did the Lord call them with an audible voice? In other places in Acts, when the Lord spoke, we hear that the Lord spoke. Here it just says the Holy Spirit literally moved their heart and then confirmed it with these other men who weren't called to go as missionaries, but they were moved the same way to lay their hands on them, just to let them know that they identified with them. And they fasted. That doesn't just mean that they didn't eat. It meant that they put aside everything else to focus on one thing. What would the Lord have me to do today? I have been called, you've been called. And God calls us to, to crazy endeavors, to adventures that, that don't seem possible, that, that don't seem to make any sense to us. In the Old Testament, there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Jonathan and his armor bearer are there. And the rest of the army is out doing something else. And, and look at what it says. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. I love Jonathan. I love his, let's see what God's going to do. Look at what he says. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And he, there's this boldness, this expectation that God has laid something on my heart. Would you come and join me? And the two of them decimate a whole squadron of the enemy because they followed the Lord that day. While the rest of the army is sitting under the shade waiting for God to do something, Jonathan and his armor bearer follow the Lord because they were called. Number two, I have a vital message. Not only have I been called, but I have the message that God has given me. We see Paul's confrontation with Elamus. Some people don't like the way that Paul talked to this man. Did you notice that when he comes up, they met this Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus means family of, so family of Jesus. And he's saying, I, I'm part of the Messiah's family. I'm part of this Jesus group. I'm, I'm part of this one who is to come. He, this, this one maybe that's uh, the, the descendant of Joshua. I'm of this family. And sometimes we don't think that's very Christ-like, but go back and read Matthew 23 where, where the Lord pronounces seven woes, not on the worst sinners, but on the, those who are in the church, the Pharisees. And he says it's all about you guys who are fakes, who phonies and, and hypocrites, and he, he calls them terrible names. And Saul does as well. And, and I think it's interesting because in the middle of this, as we're going through this, it says, oh, and by the way, Saul, who was also called Paul, all of a sudden there's this shift in the ministry. Before it's Barnabas and Saul, and now it's Paul and Barnabas. He changes names to the Gentile name. He changes names because God's about to do this movement in his ministry, and they all sense it, and they know that Paul's got the message. And it's not Barnabas who speaks. Barnabas is the one who, who trained Paul. Barnabas is the one who naturally should go first. And yet Paul has the message from God, this insight. 
And he knows that Sergius Paulus wants to hear God's word. And Paul is involved in spiritual warfare, and he recognizes it. And he realizes the life, the eternity of this man is hanging in the balance. And this other one, this Elimus, is coming and trying to grab the seed that's been sown. It's Satan coming and trying to take that away. And Paul decides he's going to call him on it. And he, and he uses these very bold words. I think it's ironic. What does Paul say? You're going to be blind for a while. Who's experienced that? Paul. On the road to Damascus, when he meets the Lord, the Lord takes away his sight for a few days. And, and Paul says to him, you will see again. There's a time when, when he says, when you see. But there's a time, Elimus, where you need to, to block out everything and search for who God really is. Paul actually does the kindest thing he could possibly do to someone who's so far from Jesus Christ. He calls him on it and he says, unless you change something, Elimus, you're going to spend the rest of your life away from who Jesus Christ is. God has a message for us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, Christ committed to us the message of reconciliation, to reconcile, to, to be made right, to be, to be put into the right relationship with God. And that message will bring mixed reactions. Folks, forget politics. Forget anything else. When you go out and begin to speak the name of Jesus Christ in America, in Haiti, anywhere else, you will have some people who will love the message and you will have some people who will hate the message and the messenger. Jesus says at one time, what did you expect They hated me? They're going to hate you. Paul uses a, a really great illustration of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It's a triumphal procession. And he gives this illustration because in New Testament times and in Old Testament times as well, when a king was a victor, he would come back with his army and they would go down the main street of the city and they would have, these, they would have, have all the music going, but they would have their army march first and the soldiers come in proud because they're the, the winners, the, the warriors, they're, they're triumphant and they make this triumphal entry and the soldiers march proudly in and the, the people are cheering and the music's going and the horns are blasting. But there's one other thing that they always did in the middle of the Israeli army they had people that had incense as they were coming in and the aroma would waft through the whole town and this incense was representative of the prayers and what they were saying is when we prayed to God God answered and we won the battle because of the prayers that went up to God and as the soldiers are coming in they can smell this incense and it's the smell of victory it, it's a great smell it's the same way I feel when I go into any airport and smell Cinnabon. Praise God. I can walk into any bakery. Just walking in the door adds five pounds, but when I walk in, there's just, I'm, I'm thinking heaven has got to have a big bakery in the middle of it somewhere. It's this aroma, and the soldiers are marching in, and they're just so thrilled with the aroma. But at the end of the line are all the captives. And the same smell that is a smell of victory for the soldiers is a smell of death and defeat for the captives. And as they come in, they, they smell this aroma. That's what Paul is saying, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? God has said, you are to be a sweet aroma for me. Your life 
is to permeate your space with something that will be wonderful to some people, but deadly to the others. But our life should leave an impression. Our life should be the message of Jesus Christ fleshed out 3D so they can see what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. They called these men. They separated them. God called them. They separated them. They sent them out. They supported them. And they started this work of the missions. But it goes on. Because we have more of the story. Acts 13 goes on because the, God's powerful message also imparts new life. Not only, not only does it compel us to minister, but the message itself imparts life. We have a great example. I'm not going to read all of this because it's too long. Look at verse 26. We'll just read some verses out of this. Acts 13, 26. Brothers, children of Abraham. And Paul is speaking now to this group that he's encountered. Brothers, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to you, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And again, in the Old Testament, there's a curse. Anyone who was killed on a tree was cursed. But God raised him from the dead, verse 30. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, literally the gospel. We tell you the gospel, the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I've become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David, the divinic covenant that, that he had was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 35. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. That's the Christian terminology for dying. Did you get that, believers? If you believe in Jesus Christ, to be absent from the bodies and be present with the Lord, we don't die. We fall asleep. And when we wake up, we're in the presence of God. I don't care what book has been written about how people die. When we go to sleep here, for believers, it's a sleep that we come and we wake up in the presence. To be absent from the body, immediately present with the Lord. Uh, look back at verse 36. He was buried with his fathers, talking about David, and his body decayed. The greatest king that ever lived in their mind, David, was a decaying body. But verse 37, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers... I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. 
On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, get this scene. The first Sabbath, they had a good crowd. The next time, the next Sabbath, a week later, a Friday sundown, they go to, to Sabbath meeting, and the whole town is, is jockeying for seats. I can just see it. The auditorium's filled, and, and people are sitting on the floor, and, and, and they're crowding in the back, and they're, they're listening at the windows. When the Jews, verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Literally, that's the same word as blasphemy. They were blaspheming God. They were saying that Paul's message, which was God's message, was not God's message. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now to the, turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. There's the sovereignty of God for you. Look at verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What do we find here about this imparting new life? Number one, how do we find that new life? Trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. Paul's whole message is built on relationships. He says, you had a relationship with David in this Davidic covenant, and you were waiting for another king to come from David. But do you understand, any other king that comes just in the fleshly sense is going to die. David died. If David died, every king's going to die, except one, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to fulfill that promise, was raised again. We can trust God's promises. And, he, and Paul, actually, if you read the whole passage, begins early and he says, God fulfilled his promise even when, the, when Joseph and his brothers were, ended up in Egypt and they came out. God fulfilled his promises. God fulfills his promises. God can be trusted. We, he can be trusted when we don't deserve it. In verse 18 here, it says, He endured their conduct for 40 years. While they were in the wilderness, even when they didn't deserve God to fulfill His promise, He fulfilled the promise. God can be trusted to provide leadership. He, he talks about Moses. He talks about David. He talks about uh, this man after God's own heart. David, who wrote half of the Psalms. God can be trusted when you face impossible obstacles. God can be trusted when they were at the edge of the Red Sea and they didn't know how they were going to get across. God can be trusted when, when David was faced with a battle with a giant that was so far beyond him. God can be trusted just as David trusted him when he was hiding from Saul and God took care of him and, and the 300 and then the 600 who joined him. And finally, God can be trusted because God said this little 17-year-old is one day going to sit on the throne of David and expand the territory farther than it's ever been expanded. He, he furthered the borders of Israel more than they They've ever been furthered because God can be trusted. God keeps his promises. And Paul says, don't you get it? We have, we have witnesses. We have proof. God's word predicted that this was going to happen, and he quotes several of the passages predicting what's going to happen to Jesus. He says, I can prove it. I have eyewitnesses that are still alive who saw all of this. He assures them God's promises can be trusted. Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is faithful to some of his promises. Is that what it says? The Lord has promises to all. Say it again. The Lord, is the Lord is faithful to all his promises. Say it with me. The Lord is faithful 
to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. Do you understand what that means? When God says something, when God promises something, we can count on it. More than any parent, more than any spouse, more than any child, more than any work, more than any government, more than anything else. God can be trusted. And that relationship with Jesus Christ begins when we understand that God's promises can be trusted. Trust God's promises. Number two, receive God's forgiveness. I want to go back to trusting for just a minute. Something happened this week that you don't know about. It didn't make any headlines. On October 1st, Lincoln Myrick, our grandson, Lincoln Myrick, who was born with Down syndrome, Lincoln Myrick turned five years old on October 1st. But also this week, when his mom took him to the doctor, the doctor said that the heart murmur that he's had from the time that he was a baby would not need surgery, that Lincoln's okay. God's promises can be trusted. This is not theoretical. This is personal and this is practical. Our God loves my grandson, Lincoln. And that little boy is a gift to us and a gift to them. He's full boy. He can be just as bad as he can be good. But he's God's gift to us and God's promises can be trusted. We receive God's forgiveness it's our nature to believe we can fix our situation. That's what happened with those Jews. They, they were devout Jews, and they thought that they could fix it. They thought if they were good enough, if they thought if they could earn it enough. And the Bible is clear. And forgiveness comes through faith, not by trying harder. Trying to keep the Mosaic Law, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, trying to keep the, actually the 613 Commandments will never get you to heaven. It will never get you closer to God. The commandments were given to show us how bad we really are. Galatians 2.16 says a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. God says, I've given you a gift. Jesus Christ went to the cross and hung on the cross to pay for everything wrong you've ever done, everything wrong I've ever done. And it's a gift. And you can receive forgiveness. We don't even understand what forgiveness is. We think forgiveness is just trying to forget something that happened. God doesn't necessarily forget it, although he uses that analogy. As far as the east is from the west, as deep as the deepest sea, higher than the mountain, uh, it's like I don't remember it. I've, I've had pastors tell me that when we get to heaven, if you walk into heaven and you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry for that, that, that sin I did, that God will say, what sin? Because it was all paid for. But I think even more than just forgetting it, God fully understood it and bore it on the cross. He, he literally went to the cross and put it on his shoulders. Far worse than the physical death of Jesus Christ on the cross was carrying my sin and your sin and the sins of the entire world to that cross and dying because of everything wrong we've done. And the truth is because of that, we owe God. We have a debt that we could never begin to repay. And forgiveness is God canceling the debt that we owe. Colossians 1, 13, 14 says, For he has rescued us. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. means we've, we've been bought back. We were slaves in this marketplace, and he's redeemed us. He's bought us back from that. The forgiveness of sins. Do you understand? I've been forgiven. 
I've been forgiven for everything wrong I did this week. I've been forgiven for everything wrong I'm going to do the rest of the day. I've been forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's never been anything that you've done in the past that you think still looms up there and maybe God's going to call you on it. It's forgiven when you come to Jesus Christ by faith. Do you notice the phrase? And and when he's in here, verse 39, through him everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. And that's everything. Receive God's forgiveness. The last one is experience God's joy. Experience God's joy. And you see the contrast in the two groups here. The believers come and, and they surround Paul and they're hungry and, and they say, come next week and, and, and we don't understand completely, but we want to believe, we want to know. And they're hungry and they're thirsty for this, this, this water of life and this bread that God is going to pour out on them, this spiritual bread. And they're asking them to come back, come back, come back. And you have this other group and what are they doing? Just like Elimus. This other group is blocking it. They're trying to say, no, 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 no. We don't like the way you're saying this. We, we don't like where you're going with this story. We don't, we don't like the message that you're giving. We, we don't understand for sure, but we don't like what you're doing, Paul. And Paul says, God told me to come and talk to you first, but now I've been released. I'm going to go talk to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, and they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. They received the word. They, they trusted the word. They, they came by faith to Jesus Christ. And, and look at that phrase, all who were appointed for eternal life. The, the Greek word there is uh, tasso, appointed, tasso. Literally means assigned to a category. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but here's what I know for sure. The Bible says that all who were called will come. And God says, I've called you. And all who call will believe. And we have a choice. And the Jews that day had a choice to believe Paul or to reject it, and they rejected Paul. But the Gentiles and some of the other Jews decided to believe, and they became part of that assigned category, or they were already the assigned category, and they believed. It doesn't matter how you look at it. God got them into the kingdom. Do you understand that? We're not puppets. You have a choice. You choose for yourself whether you want to follow Jesus Christ or reject him. And when you do, you experience this joy. John 15, 11 says, I've, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. What brings you joy in your life? Uh, not happiness. I'm, I'm not talking about the latest toy. I'm not talking about the iPhone again. I'm not talking about an iPad. I'm not talking about the guitar, although some guitars really do bring you a lot of joy. I'm not talking about the football games. I'm not talking about your favorite team. I'm talking about what brings you joy. Really, I think it's who brings you joy. Psalm 1611 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy and your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. On, on Monday when Lincoln turned five years old, we have iPhones, and, and I got on my iPhone, and we had FaceTime from here to Austin, Texas, so we could spend just a few minutes of the birthday with our grandson. And when I first got on, the first thing that... that uh, Lincoln's older brother, Nico, said is, Papa, what's that on your face? 
And I said, Nico, I just haven't washed my face in several days, honey. It'll be okay. He said, no, Papa, it's a beard. Cool. That was two thumbs up. And then Lincoln got on, and he still doesn't verbalize a lot, but there was this grin on his face. And I said to our daughter, Liz, I said, why is Lincoln so happy? And she said, Sam, pan back. And as they pan back, the gift that we had given them, they had two foam swords, the, the Nerf swords, how to train your dragon. And as they were sitting there watching the movie, back behind their parents, they're playing swords behind their parents' heads. And they were having so much fun. And as we're on FaceTime, all of a sudden you'd see the sword kind of come across the screen. And there was just joy in his face. You couldn't have wiped the, the, the smile off my face all Monday evening. The Lord says there's a joy in the adventure. Kent Hughes is a Bible scholar. This is what he says. There's a cost to sincere service for Christ. This is what, listen to this. Never share your faith and you'll never look like a fool. Never stand for righteousness on a social issue and you'll never be rejected. Never walk out of a theater because, or, or, because a movie or play is offensive and you'll never be called a prig. Never practice consistent honesty in business and you will not lose the trade of a not-so-honest associate. Never reach out to the needy and you'll never be taken advantage of. Never give your heart and it will never be broken. Never go to Cyprus and you'll never be subjected to a dizzy, heart-convulsing confrontation with Satan. Seriously follow Christ and you will experience a gamut of sorrows almost completely unknown to the unbeliever. But... Of course, you will also know the joy of adventure with the Lord of the universe and of spiritual victory as you live a life of allegiance to him. 39 years ago, an adventure began, long before I knew them. 39 years ago, Steve and Jackie Rica began to pray for Jackie's brother, Larry, who's in penitentiary. 39 years ago, they began to pray, and for 38 years of that, I mean, it just appeared that the more they prayed, the worse he got, and the, the further he got away from the Lord, and he got into mysticism and this and to that, and it just appeared to be this hopeless cause, but Steve would not quit praying, Jackie would not keep praying, and others in this church prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And not that long ago, all of a sudden, something happened. And Jackie and Steve got word that Larry, this criminal, Larry, this brother, Larry, this one who was so far from Jesus Christ, something happened to him. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. After all of this adventure, after all of this prayer, this one that seemed so far away that could not possibly come to know him suddenly walked into the kingdom of light and there was joy in heaven and there's joy on their faces and there's joy in our hearts for all of us who've prayed for Larry. Because our God is a God that saves. Our God is a God that takes us on an adventure. And when you get there, there's joy. You can trust his promises. You can receive forgiveness. You can experience joy by coming into the family of God and following when he calls. Would you pray with me? Father, you know the message that you laid on my heart. What an incredible message, Father. That you have had a plan from the very beginning that's so far greater than our plan. 
that you know the truths that we have overlooked or rejected. And faithfully, Father, you give them to us over and over. A simple message that Jesus Christ died in our place, that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A simple message, Father, that you've given us, that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we believe in our heart, when we say it with our lips, we find that relationship. And yet, Father, it's even more than that because it's also a reminder to each of us that you've given us a ministry and a message and a calling. So help us, Father, whether we go to Haiti or go across the street to be faithful to your call. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.